Can I encourage you to turn your Bibles? We're going to read from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and beginning at verse 12. So Romans 5 beginning at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many." And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to look at this passage today, or part of this passage, under the title, The Second Adam. Uh, I say I have uh, good news, bad news, and good news for you as we begin. Uh, the good news, there's a lot of tremendous truths in this passage. Uh, the bad news, it's a very long sermon to cover it, but the good news, I'm going to do it over two weeks, so hopefully we'll be out for lunchtime uh, today. John Henry Newman it was a very interesting character. He lived in the 1800s. He started out as an evangelical Anglican and ended up becoming a Roman Catholic cardinal and was indeed beatified by the, the Pope in recent years. But he wrote a hymn that's in our Presbyterian hymn book called Praise to the Holiest. And there's some tremendous words in his hymns, which includes these two verses. O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. O wisest love that flesh and blood, which did in Adam fail, should strive afresh against the foe, should strive and should prevail. Now what John Henry Newman is doing here is referring to Jesus as the second Adam. And where the first Adam failed and messed up by sinning against God, Jesus came to be a second Adam and Jesus would succeed. He would start a new human race, a new race of people who are born again by the Spirit of God where the first Adam would create a people who would rebel against God and go their own way, the second Adam, Jesus, creates a people who will trust in the Lord 
and follow him once more. And this passage in the second half of Romans 5 is dealing with this, the contrast and the pictures between Adam and Jesus as the second Adam. Now, as we look at the two points we're going to look at there, first of all, we see Adam and Jesus introduced in verses 12 to 14. Now, the focus here is very much primarily on the first Adam, and we learn three important things about this first Adam here in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, what do we learn about the first Adam here? Well, first of all, sin came into the world through Adam. Adam, when he ate of the forbidden fruit, he brought sin into what was previously a perfect and flawless world. And he brought sin in what to previously had been a perfect and flawless human race. But once Adam sinned, the whole human race was corrupted. Paul, in speaking of Adam, was speaking of a real person. And that's very important. He didn't assume the story of Adam was some sort of myth or parable. Paul was following in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus believed in Adam and Eve, that they were real people, they were the parents of the whole human race. And Jesus quoted Genesis when explaining what he believed about marriage. He told the story of Adam and Eve and the first marriage. And so the Bible believes in a real Adam. And if people disprove Adam, the whole message of the Bible is a load of nonsense. And evolution is just a theory, the theory that mankind has come from some other species. It doesn't fit with what God teaches the Bible teaches, Jesus teaches, Paul teaches that the first human beings created by God were Adam and Eve. They fell into sin, and through their sin, sin came into the world. So that's the first point. Sin came into the world through Adam. Secondly, death came because of this sin. He says there in verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. Now death was not part of God's original creation. Sometimes we talk about a, a natural death, but death is not natural. Death came as a result of Adam's sin. Adam was warned that if he ate of the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which was basically him saying, if he didn't eat of that tree, he was saying, God, I'll let you decide what is right and wrong. But by eating of that tree, he's saying, I will decide myself what is right and wrong. I will set the rules for my life. He was rebelling against God. He was warned if he ate of that tree, he would die. And so when he did eat of it, death came into the world. Adam was told, dust you are, and to dust you will return. And sin has brought death into this world as an unwelcome intruder. Death is cruel. Death brings hurt. Death brings separation. Death was not a part of God's original perfect world. Death came as a consequence of our sin. Death is not natural. It's an invader into God's original perfect world. And then the third thing about hate this is that death spreads to all as all sinned. That's what he says there. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
As all of the human race have come into sin, they've also come under the curse of death. And no one is immune from death because no one is free from sin. Now, there has been some debate by what it means here when it says all have sinned, in what way this is linked to Adam, and there are a couple of ideas about it. The first thought, which is partly true, is we share in Adam's corruption. When Adam sinned, his whole human nature was corrupted by that sin. It wasn't just that Adam was someone who remained as he was, but someone who had committed a sin. When he sinned, his whole nature was twisted and corrupted by that sin. He was cursed because of that sin. Sin became part of who he was. He was now a different person. He now was a sinner, a person with a natural bent towards sin, a person with a natural bias away from God. And so we inherit the family traits of Adam. We inherit the family traits of our parents. We have all inherited the corruption of sin that Adam had. So when it says all have sinned in Adam, we have all inherited that nature. That's why we don't have to teach our children how to be stubborn or selfish or greedy. Uh, the terrible twos, which happened long before two, uh, the stubbornness is there. It's because of sin. Uh, if you do not believe in original sin, look after some toddlers for a wee while, and you soon will. We share in Adam's corruption. But secondly, when it says all have sinned, I think it's meaning actually something different here. While it is true we all share in Adam's corruption, we share in Adam's guilt. When Adam sinned, he did so as a representative of the whole human race. And in that sense, when Adam sinned, all sinned with him. He stood as our man. He stood as our representative. And he acted on behalf of the whole human race. So when he sinned, we all sinned with him. In the Bible, there's a very interesting story about a, a priest king called Melchizedek who lived in the days of Abraham. And Abraham gave him a tenth of his possessions. And Melchizedek is a very mysterious character, this priest king. But one of the things the book of Hebrews tells us is that when Abraham gave that offering to Melchizedek, in a sense, Abraham's great-grandson, Levi, who wasn't born yet, he did it as well. And the writer of the Hebrews is doing that to prove that the the priesthood that would come from Levi would be an inferior priesthood from the one from this great priest king of which Jesus is a type. And so what he is saying is that when Abraham did an offering to Melchizedek, his great-grandson who wasn't born yet did it as well. This is a point which is hard to maybe get across in a Western culture where we've become so individual. This would be something much easier to teach in Africa or Asia, this truth. But this is what the Bible teaches, this sense of joint responsibility. We think of the story of Achan in the Bible, when the children of Israel were to conquer Jericho, and Achan hid some of the possessions which were to be devoted to the Lord. Not only was Achan killed, but his family was killed with him. There was a joint responsibility seen in this. And this is what is being taught. Adam stood as our representative. And when Adam took of that forbidden fruit, we all took of that forbidden fruit. We all became guilty in that instant. 
He stood as our Father. He stood as the representative. The whole human race sinned as Adam sinned. Now, this sense of guilt of us sinning with Adam is brought out in verses 13 to 14 here where it says, For in sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And so what the Bible does, it makes a distinction where law is given and where law is not given. And so from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, God's law had not been given. And so people sin while it's still sin, it is not seen as serious as when the law is given. But this is the point he goes on says in verse 14. Even though the law wasn't given in that time, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though over those who sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who came as a type of the one to come. So what he's saying is, although the law didn't exist in that time because Moses hadn't been given it, in that period from Adam to Moses, people died. Why? Why did people die? Because they had sinned with Adam. Now, they did commit sins in their lives, but they were guilty with Adam. That's the point he's making. Death reigned because they were guilty with Adam. Now, we may think in our, and again, this is our Western mindset where we're so individualistic, we may think this is unfair. Why should we be seen as guilty with Adam? I wasn't there. I didn't do it. This idea of inheriting the guilt with Adam, we don't see maybe as fair, but but what about if a relative dies and you're given an inheritance? Do you refuse it? No, you say, that's my inheritance, that's my right, I inherit that. In the same way, as you inheritance maybe a, a house or a bit of money or something, we inherit from Adam his sin. We're guilty with him. And the important point here is that we will not understand this world. We will not understand what's going on around us. We will not understand all the, the wickedness that is there until we grasp this truth about sin, which we're all guilty of, we've all inherited, and how it leads to death. Adam brings sin, sin brings death, death comes to us all, because we have all sinned with Adam. But notice the final phrase here in verse 14, which is important. It says this, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of of the one who was to come. Who's he talking about? The second Adam. Here he's speaking about one who would come, who would be like Adam, but different from Adam, one who would bring hope, one who would bring deliverance from a world of sin and death. He's now setting the scene to first to think about Jesus as the second Adam. So we move on to our second point. So the first point is Adam and Jesus being introduced. Now we come to Adam and Jesus contrasted in verses 15 to 17. And this is where it begins to get really interesting and really beautiful. First of all, trespass versus abounding grace in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now this trespass automatically led to death to the whole human race. In many ways, it was a natural consequence of sin. Adam didn't have to work to achieve this. Death came to him as soon as he committed that sin. He was now under a curse of death. It came as a response to his disobedience. By contrast, 
What that sin brought to mankind, which was a terrible mess, it took an amazing work of God's grace, an amazing free gift of God to sort out this mess, which has happened because of sin. And in a sense, what Paul is saying, Adam just had to sin, and he messed everything up. But Jesus had to come to do something absolutely tremendous. He had to do a very difficult work in order to fix the mess created by Adam. Now, this death that sin brings has three aspects to it. The sin of Adam leads to, first of all, physical death, which is when our bodies and our souls are separated. Spiritual death, which is being separated from God, being alienated, estranged from God. Eternal death, which is everlasting separation from God's love in hell as a judgment. I don't know if you liked Laurel and Hardy. Uh, I always enjoyed Laurel and Hardy. Uh, but there's a famous expression that Oliver Hardy often says to Stan Laurel. Hardy often says to him, this is another fine mess you've got us into. And when we think of what Adam does, it is a mess, but it's no joke, this. This is something so serious. And this is something, the mess because of sin, the death it brings, separation of body and soul, separation from God, eternal separation from God's love. It is something very difficult to fix. And that's what Paul is saying here. And the only hope is that the second Adam, God's son Jesus, will bring God's free gift of grace which will abound. And the wonderful thing is this mess can be fixed because God's grace is not small. God's grace is something that overflows. God's grace is something that's poured out wonderfully at the cross of Calvary. And so the problem was big. The problem was serious. The problem seemed unsolvable. But God's grace was so amazing, it is able to achieve it. The second Adam is up for the fight. The second Adam is able to take on death and the consequences of sin and able to have the victory. And the only way that we can be rescued from the mess that sin has created in our lives and the mess that sin has created in this world is that a second Adam comes in wonderful grace to put things right. You see a wee picture coming up of a village in Switzerland. I wonder, did you see this this week on the news? This is the village of Brents in Switzerland. And there was a tremendous rock slide that came down. A large portion of the mountain, which overlooked the village, came down upon it. Now, thankfully, they were aware there was a danger and the village had been evacuated. It was a good job because the, the thing happened between 11 and 12 o'clock at night. The, the rock slide happened. But it stopped mercifully. It stopped just a few feet short of the village. So the village actually saved. Now, I'm not sure if I lived in that village, I'd rush back to my house uh, with that hanging over me. But, but just imagine if it hadn't been as merciful as that. Imagine if that, the people had gone to bed that night and this massive rock slide came down upon them, covered their houses with them in it. You just think of that situation. Like, you can't imagine the scale of this. If you had been trapped in that situation, there is no way you could have rescued yourself. It would be nearly impossible for you to be rescued. The amount that was involved in this. 
And sin has come down upon us as a human race. It's come down upon us as this rock slide. And we're trapped. And there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. We can't dig our way out of this hole. It's too big a problem for us. And the only hope is that a second Adam would come. An Adam who would be a perfect human being, but an Adam who would also be the almighty and powerful Son of God. That he would come and lift the rubble of our sin and set us free. And so here we have, as we think of this first point of trespass versus grace. But then in verse 16 goes on to condemnation versus justification. And it's just picturing how more glorious Jesus is than the first Adam. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment followed the one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now, one of the things this verse is doing is, is again emphasizing what an amazing feat Jesus has done in bringing deliverance. One of the reasons why grace has to abound, why grace has to pour out and overflow through the second Adam is that the first Adam, he just needed one sin. One sin messed up the whole human race. He did that one sin and the human race was cursed forever. The second Adam, it says in this verse, the second Adam came, Jesus came, after many trespasses. So he had to resolve all the sins, all the sins that his people will have committed. He had to put all that right. So it was easy for Adam, in a sense, to do his work of messing everything up. One sin. Where Jesus has come after many sins. Every sin that his people will have committed has to be dealt with. Jesus has to fix this problem. And that reminds us that every sin that you and I have committed, every sin needs to be cleansed, needs to be washed, needs to be dealt with. Sometimes when I'm in the hospital, and some of you who work in the hospital will be more aware of this, but sometimes the wards are indeed closed for a deep clean. And... uh, when that work is happening, they have to indeed deal with every part of the ward. There's no point doing 99% of the ward and then leaving one area where there are viruses or bacteria still living. It has to be dealt with. The whole place has to be dealt with. Because if they leave the viruses and the bacteria, then the problem will be as big again. It's the same with us. There's no point us saying, okay, I'm going to stop doing certain sins and try and be a better person. Every single sin in your life has to be dealt with. And only Jesus can do this. Paul, in this verse 16, he's focusing on the immediate consequences of the actions of the two Adams. He says the first Adam brings judgment and condemnation to his people because of that sin. And remember that condemnation deserves God's wrath in hell forever. But the second Adam, Jesus, brings justification. That's that great legal term which Paul delighted in. Justification means being declared righteous before God, being declared right in God's eyes through what Jesus has done on the cross. 
When through faith Jesus' death is applied to a sinner, their sin and their guilt is taken away before God, and it's just as if they have never sinned. This is something wonderful. This is the very heart of salvation. There is a person who is a guilty sinner on the road to God's wrath and hell forever. Then they come and they trust in Jesus. They trust in the shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And when they trust in Jesus, in an instant, they have changed from being a guilty sinner in the sight of God to being right in the sight of God, being righteous in God's sight. It isn't that through justification they have become a better person. They haven't suddenly become better. It's that in Jesus, they have a new standing. They're now declared as being innocent of being righteous of God through their faith in Jesus' death. The mistake that some people make is thinking that being a Christian, getting to heaven, is, is about becoming good living. Now, we will see as we go on in Romans, being a Christian does change your life. But some people think the way to heaven is you become a Christian, you become good living, so your, the standard of your life goes up. And hopefully the standard of your life goes high enough that the good outweighs the bad and then you'll be right with God, hopefully, when you die. That is nonsense. What Paul teaches here, what the Bible teaches is you can do nothing. It's not about you becoming a better person to get to heaven. It's about you realizing you're a bad person, you're not good enough, and your only hope is to trust in Jesus that he's died on the cross to save you. And as you trust on his sacrifice of the cross for sin, once you trust in him, you're now declared as being righteous before God. It's not that you've suddenly become a better person. You have a new position, a new standing through faith in Jesus. So he says, the first Adam, his sin leads to judgment, leads to condemnation. The second Adam, his actions lead to justification. A Christian is declared right with God, not through works. A Christian is declared right with God through one work. The work of Jesus dying on the cross. Taking the punishment for sin. It's on the basis of that one work that the Christian is declared as righteous as they trust in this Jesus. So Adam brings condemnation. The second Adam brings justification. And the third and final thing is death reigning versus reigning in life. Look at verse 17, what he says. For if because of one man's trespass... Death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He's talking about people's lives. He talks about through Adam, death reigns in this world. Death reigns in people's lives. You all know the ultimate statistic. One out of one people will die. Except for two people in the Bible, one of which we'll be thinking about tonight and coming here about it. Death may be cheated for a time. Death may be cheated for a while, but the end, death gets its man. Did you hear the story this week, I think it was America, where a person was in a coffin and they realized the person was moving and help was sent for and turned out the person was alive. And now I'm not sure what state the person in, she wasn't in a great state, but even though that lady may have cheated death at that point, uh, 
she will ultimately die, of course, in time. Death gets its man. Death gets its woman. Death gets its child. And each of us, as we get older, we can see the reality of death at work in our lives. The hair begins to go gray. Or you have to use a stronger color than the bottle you use. The joints ache and struggle to work. Our eyesight begins to fade. Our faces wrinkle a bit more. And the number of medical problems we have grow and grow. Death is at work in all of us. One day, death will have the victory over us as we go to the grave. But death also reigns in us in a spiritual way. We're separated from God. We're spiritually dead by our nature. We're resistant to the voice of God. We're resistant to the call to come to His Son, the Lord Jesus. We're resistant to keeping the commandments of God. So death's at work in us physically as we see our deterioration, but it's in us spiritually as we resist God. But here we see in verse 17 the glorious answer. It says, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Here is a glorious answer. Paul is saying, listen, in Jesus, in this second Adam, we have the answer to death. Christ enables his people to overcome sin. Christ enables his people to reign in his life, not to let sin take control of them. Christ enables his people to have victory day by day as they live a new life for the Lord. And the person who has received this abundant grace, who's received this free gift of righteousness, he says, is enabled, empowered, and equipped to live in a new way. The old life of sin is a life of death, but the new life in Jesus is a life of real hope, of real living in a relationship with Christ. We have had Andy Williamson from the Belfast City Mission speaking here before. I love the story Andy told about a, a couple who were converted at his mission hall. It was around Halloween time. And at a, one of the meetings in the mission hall, the couple came to profess faith. So a day or so afterwards, Andy went to the house to visit this couple. And it was coming up to Halloween, and the house was decorated with all the scary stuff for Halloween, including a gravestone in the garden, uh, of all things. Andy went in, and when he went into the house, he says to him, you know, I wasn't sure to come in uh, or not with all that stuff outside. And they turned to Andy and they says to him, is that wrong? These are new Christians who hadn't been brought up in biblical teaching. And they says, is that wrong? And Andy's answer to them was absolutely fantastic. All that stuff out there about skulls and and gravestones and all. All that stuff is about death. What you have received in Jesus is about life. Real life. Eternal life in a relationship with the living God. The next time Andy went to the house, it was all away. They had got it. The new life in this relationship of God through Jesus is the most wonderful thing of all. If you're not a Christian, 
this is what you don't understand. This is what you don't realize. It's, it's knowing Jesus as our Savior, walking with us, which makes all the difference to us as Christians, day by day. Jesus never promises us Christians that life will be easy. We still have the aching joints. We still have the fading eyes. We still have the wrinkles and so forth. We still have the illness. But the difference is the Christian, when they go into that hospital, the Christian, when they go for that scan, the Christian, when they get that news, they have Jesus with them. The Jesus who's promised never to leave them nor forsake them. And the Jesus who's promised, yes, one day you will die. One day your body will go into the ground. One day your body will decay in a grave. But one day your body's going to be resurrected into a glorious new body to enter the new heavens and new earth to be with me forever. Jesus promises that. Jesus promises that this world is just a workshop preparing for the glory to come. And Jesus promises that if we trust in him, yes, we will experience death. Yes, we will die in this world. But Jesus has promised we will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. In a real life that is wonderful, that is glorious. It is only possible through the second Adam. The second Adam has brought death and judgment through sin. The first Adam has brought death and judgment through sin. The second Adam has brought life and salvation through grace. And you see, we're all born, in a sense, belonging to the first Adam. We're born in sin, born under death and judgment. But some of us have changed camps. Some of us are now part of the second Adam, of this new community, this new humanity. We're born again by the Spirit of God. We've come to trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. We are a new creation heading for glory. And as you go out through that door today, you need to ask yourself, do you belong to the first Adam, sin, death, judgment? Or have you embraced the second Adam, Jesus? Righteousness, salvation, eternal life. Why would you pause? Why would you falter? Why would you wait? The result of sin is terrible. It's a real mess. You can see it in the world around us. But God's grace in Christ is sufficient for you. Come. Come to the second Adam. Find hope in him today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the hope of Jesus, who alone can be our righteousness. And Father, just give us the grace today to understand who we are in the first Adam because of sin and death and guilt. But then understand what we can be in the second Adam by his grace, by his work on the cross. May his grace, O oh God, abound in every heart here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.